Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We've been talking about exhorting God's people. Uh, the background to Haggai was that the uh, temple had been destroyed years earlier, along with um, a lot of Jerusalem, the walls and the gates. When the uh, Babylonian army had came in, uh, God using them to chastise his own people because of the worship of idols. And they were carried away into captivity, were away in captivity for several years. And then about 50,000 of them are allowed to come back and to start rebuilding the uh, city, the, the walls, the gates. And they started rebuilding the temple, uh, and they laid the foundation for it, kind of had a celebration, uh, a, a big hoop to lie, look what we've done, we've laid the foundation, and then they quit. <laughs> and they didn't finish the work that God had called them to do. And the temple lay there in waste for about 16 years. So that's why God calls Haggai to come in and exhort God's people uh, to finish the work of building the temple. Uh, the application for us is simply this. We also need to be exhorted to do God's work because many times it's easy for us to get focused about our own lives. It's, get easy, it's easy for us to get focused about just uh, taking care of our own homes, our own stuff, our own junk, and in the process not really doing what God has called us to do. And I think that's a danger for the church today. In fact, I'm sure it is. I see it take place in, in our church and other churches about how easy it is for us to get sidetracked about our own affairs and we fail to consider God's purpose, God's will, and be carrying those things out. So we ourselves need to be, uh, need to be exhorted. Uh, the, the exhortations we've been looking at, the Haggai has uh, given us, he started out by telling us to put God first. Uh, instead of ourselves, we need to recognize God needs to be put first. Uh, he also told us uh, not only to put God first, he tells us to consider uh, our ways, to consider our ways, uh, next, next slide please, uh, to consider our ways, not from our own perspective, because we have a perverted view of what our ways are. We need to see ourselves from God's perspective. Uh, he told us to, to uh, believe God's promises, and you know we love the good part of God's promises, but God keeps all of it, even stuff, negative stuff that, that we don't like. If God has said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. We're going to obey God's command, uh, and failing to do so uh, really causes negative results in our lives. And that's kind of a continuation of what we'll be talking about today. Last week, we talked about this, look up that God is with us. And I think that was a very important message for Haggai to give the people, because as they start out this uh, daunting task of building the temple, they needed to understand that God was with them to help them accomplish what he called them to do. That same principle is true for us. Whatever God calls you to do as an individual, whatever God calls us to do corporately as a church, uh, God is there with us to help us accomplish it. Today we're looking at this. We need to look within because sin contaminates us. We'll read those verses in a moment. Next week we'll close out by talking about looking ahead and God, God seals us. But today our topic is to look within. Sin contaminates us. I think the reason Haggai... Uh, brings God's message to them. God sent it through Haggai uh, to tell them that they need to be aware by looking inside their heart that sin can contaminate their lives is this. They were about to set forth on a holy work. They were about to build a temple that represented the presence of God. And as they are building that temple trying to do holy work for God, if they were harboring sin in their lives, 
that sin would literally affect the, uh, the work that they were trying to do for God. Now, let me stop for a moment, and we'll pick back up on that thought in, in just a second. I understand today is Mother's Day. I, I recognize that uh, this is not the typical Mother's Day message. Ladies, I tried. I prayed about it. Uh, I tried to see if God would kind of lead me to believe it's okay to leave Haggai, this series we've been in for uh, six weeks now, and do a Mother's Day message and then come back to Haggai next week. And I couldn't get peace to do that. Uh, But I think that's probably okay because I think there is an application today for Mother's Day. Because mothers want God's best. If it's a good godly mother, you want God's best for your children. Amen? You're concerned about their lives. And the fact that sin contaminates, then as a mother, you ought to be concerned about how sin can affect your children, about how sin can affect your family, uh, and, and can affect and, and block God's best for, uh, for, for their lives. Uh, so today, bear that in mind, ladies, we'll kind of come back to that at the, uh, at the end of the message. There are three things that uh, Haggai tells the people here in Jerusalem as they're uh, starting rebuilding the temple, as he warns them about how sin can contaminate even the work of their hands. First thing he tells them is this. He basically lets them know that there's this problem of contamination by sin, that sin uh, uh, has a, a larger effect upon our lives than maybe what we recognize it to have. Uh, he says in, in, in verse 10 and 11, Haggai uh, speaks to the people, uh, says on the 24th day of the ninth month, uh, that was December the 18th, uh, it's about two months have passed from the verses we looked at last week until today. So from the time Haggai last preached a message to the people, now two months later, he's preaching this message to them. So on on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. Now, what he's going to do in just a moment, uh, he's going to ask them a couple of really important questions. Uh, the background to it, the reason he's doing that, as I alluded to a moment ago, is that the people were probably assuming uh, they had changed their minds. I know it had been 16 years since they had been building the temple, but now they've changed their minds. And the people may have very well been assuming, now that we've changed our mind, God, now that we've heard your message, now that we're willing to start building the temple back, surely you ought to bless us. They were anticipating just because they're starting to build the temple back again, that along with that, they would inherit the blessings of God. But Haggai's telling them that's not necessarily the case, because they still have some issues that they needed to deal with. The sin that had been in their life was contaminating them. If they're going to go and build a temple, which is a a holy endeavor for God, then they needed to purify themselves. They needed to prepare themselves before they set out to do uh, this work for God. So that's why this message is being proclaimed to the people. They need to understand this. To do holy work, it's important to keep yourself clean before God. That's not just true in that day and time. That's still true. They were setting out to build a temple that represented the presence of God, which was a holy work. Now, in this day and time, if you know anything about your Bible in Christianity, God God doesn't inhabit buildings anymore. God instead dwells the lives of believers. 
And as I have pointed out during this series, while we're not in a builder program, so to speak, we are in a builder program because we are supposed to be building each other up. We're supposed to be building the body of Christ. You as an individual, you're the temple of God. Uh, us together as believers at Day 3 Church, we're, we're the corporate temple of God. We make up the, the temple of God. And if we're going to build ourselves up the way that we need to, we need to recognize that sin can hinder that. That sin can contaminate our lives. It can affect the very things that we want to do for God. That's what Haggai's bringing before the people, where they would recognize, even before they start building this temple, that if they were unclean, they needed to get clean before they started doing God's work. See, in the, in the Old Testament... In the ceremonial law, there's this uh, uh, concept of, of being clean and unclean. The, the book of Leviticus deals with it in a large way, talking about being clean and unclean. So with that in the, in the background and in the mind, because all the Jews here in Jerusalem would have known about clean and unclean, with that in mind, Haggai asked them two questions. Question number one was this. He asked a question about transferable holiness, transferable holiness. He, he said, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment. Now, holy meat refers to a, a meat that was sacrificed to God. Uh, it was set aside. That's why it was considered holy, because it had been set apart to God. It had been sacrificed at the altar. And, and then the priests, when they were transferring the meat from the altar to another place, they, they would use an apron, and, and they would hold that apron and carry the meat in it, and they would transfer it from the altar over to another location and set it down. So that's what it's talking about. So if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with a fold of his garment... Bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said no. So, so here to get in, in your mind the full uh, concept of what Haggai is saying, he said if someone has that holy sanctified meat and on the way transferring it somewhere, it accidentally touches some other food or it touches some other garment, does that instantly transfer holiness to the object that was touched? And the priest answered, no. You see, Haggai seems to be asking this before the people. In other words, you cannot transfer holiness through a simple application of something holy or set apart, touching something else. It wouldn't transfer that holiness over to whatever object was touched. On the other hand, though, he also asked a question about transferable defilement. Transferable defilement in verse 13. There, Haggai asked a second question. He said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, talking about the, the same things, the, the, the bread, the, you know, the wine, the food, whatever object it might have been, if someone that is unclean touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So here's the contrast. He's saying you cannot transfer holiness to another object just by touching it. But you can transfer defilement or uncleanliness to another object by it being touched. And what he's illustrating is if someone touched a dead body. Because by the ceremonial law, if someone touched a dead body, and if they were to touch some food or some other item or some other person, then in the ceremonial law, whatever they touched would be unclean also. Because that person had touched uh, a dead body. Now, to give you a, a, maybe a, a contemporary way of looking at that, that's true even in our modern-day health care. 
Uh, you can transfer sickness from one person to the next by touching them, can you not? Uh, sometimes you can just sneeze on them, you know, or whatever, and, and it's transferred. Uh, we experienced that a, a while back here, I, I think. I don't know if it was my fault or not, but the day you guys were recognizing my 60th birthday, I didn't realize I was getting sick that day, but by that night I knew I was getting sick, and I wound up having the flu and strep at the same time. So uh, I, I think some people that I uh, was trying to enjoy my birthday fellowship with that day, they also uh, wind up having the same thing. They wound up either getting the flu or strep or something like that because they were coming by their pastor and they were hugging me and wishing me happy birthday and things. So I transferred to them something they didn't want probably. And that is I could transfer to them sickness. You can transfer sickness. But the other side of the coin is this. A healthy person cannot make a sick person healthy just by touching them. I mean, if they could, we'd have health care dealt with, okay? We wouldn't need Obamacare at all, amen? I mean, if someone healthy can just go and touch a sick person, all of a sudden they're fine because they were healthy and they touched a sick person, everything would be, would be hunky-dory, be taken care of. But that's kind of the same principle that, uh, that Haggai was, was saying to the people here as he was talking to them because he said you cannot transfer holiness by something holy touching something, but you can transfer defilement or you can transfer uh, this contamination of sin by touching someone. And he makes this application, and here's the point you need to get. These other two questions were just to kind of give us an illustration that Haggai asked the people. Here's the application. Here's the point of what he was trying to make. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people, this thing of clean and unclean. So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So the application he's making is simply this. You cannot... By doing God's work, for instance, the people assuming, hey, we're going to start building the temple again. That's a holy endeavor. That's God's special place. And because we're involved in this construction project, that means that it's going to make us holy because we're doing something God wants us to do. That wasn't the case at all. You don't earn your holiness, by the way, anyway. Thank God for grace. Amen. But grace doesn't give us the right to sin. We'll talk about that here in just a moment also. But thank God for grace. But just because they were deciding to build a temple, that didn't mean all of a sudden by building a temple, that took care of any kind of defilement or any kind of unconfessed, unrepented sin they had in their life. But what it did mean is this. The very work of their hand, while they could not become holy by doing the temple, the very work that they were trying to do, which was to build a holy temple for God, that work could become contaminated if they were doing it with unclean hearts and unclean hands and unconfessed and unrepentant sin in their life. What they were trying to do that was something good, what they were trying to do for God that they hoped would be something grand and great would be hindered by the fact that they were holding on to sin. It would be hindered by the fact that they were defiled because of their, their sin. One sin that we know for sure they had was 16 years of failing to, to build the temple. Now that they started back building that temple, they still needed to purify themselves. They needed to fully repent before God of the way they had been living their lives before they would really be clean as far as God concerned was concerned of carrying out the, the work that they needed to do. 
So what's the application for us? The application for us is, I think there's still a message for us as people today, is this. For you and I to be most effective for Christ. For us to make the biggest impact we can for the kingdom of God. We need to recognize doing so means that we need to have clean hearts and clean hands. That, that we need to repent of unconfessed sin in our life. Because if we're holding on to unconfessed sin, that unconfessed sin can, can contaminate us. Holding on to unconfessed sin hinders our lives from God fully doing the work that he wants to do through our lives. Just because we view we're doing something sacrificial. Building the temple would have been something that was very sacrificial for them. But sacrifice without obedience fails to please God. If you have in your mind, well, because I lead a small group, uh, then I'm making sacrifices to God to lead the small group. That means God ought to bless me and ought to be blessed in this work. Well, that may be true and it may not be true. If you're harboring sin in your heart, then that might affect the way that you do the work that you're supposed to be doing by leading a small group. If you're teaching children, if, if you're leading music, if you're standing here, standing here trying to preach. You see, none of us are perfect. We got that down? Amen. And, and we're still human. I, every Sunday before I walk out from behind that wall to where I go right before I come out here, I always take time to pray. And I say, God, for, forgive me for any, anything I've done this week, said this week, thoughts I've had this week that are impure that I shouldn't have had because I don't want to come out here and have what I try and do here hindered by some kind of personal sin in my life. I'm not perfect just as you are not perfect. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We all fall in, in some way. We don't have a license to do so because of the grace of God. But it's going to happen to the best of us. We'll, we'll still fall short in some way. But as we set out to do God's work, we need to keep our hands and our hearts as clean as we can by admitting to God that we sin. By asking God for forgiveness. That's the point of what Haggai is making to the people. Before you build this temple, you get right with God because you're trying to do holy work. But if you hold on to sin in your life, that holy work is going to be impaired and hindered because you have unclean hands. And that same principle is true for us today. If we're going to make the biggest impact we can for God, if we're going to serve Jesus to the best degree that we can, it will not happen if we're holding on to unconfessed sin and we're keeping unconfessed sin in, in our life. Because sacrifices, no matter if it's building the temple or whatever, without obedience, fails to please God. I found this quote this week. It wasn't attributed to anyone. But the quote says this, One drop of filth will defile a vase of water. Many drops of water will not purify a vase of filth. you understand the, the, the analogy there? Now, between the services, uh, someone involved in our uh, volunteer greeter ministry came up to me, and uh, this particular lady says that she teaches, uh, has the opportunity to help teach some youth uh, in, a, in, a, in a ministry. I'm going to preserve her integrity. If she, if she turns really red right now or laughs out, you may know who it is, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. But she, came, but she said, I teach a similar principle that you said about the vase. So I, I said, okay, tell me what it is. She wasn't anticipating it would become part of the sermon during the second service. But she says, she tells those youth, if I were to make you some cookies, and if I were to put just a little tad of poop in the cookies, would those still be good cookies, and would you want to eat those cookies? And all of them said, no, she said, but it's just a little bit. 
Not much, just a little bit. Wouldn't you want the cookies if you knew it was just a, a little bit? And they said, no, the point is this. Just a little bit of sin contaminates us. You just a little bit of sin can keep us from being used by God to the degree that God really, really wants to use us. They had left the temple undone for 16 years. We know that's a sin they had. But I'm pretty certain, even though the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I'm pretty certain just from my own experience, and I think you'll probably agree with this from your experience, I'm pretty certain the failure to rebuild the temple for 16 years, that particular sin invaded their life with other types of sin. Because you see, when we're harboring one type of sin, it just opens up the door for another one and another one and another one and another one if we're not willing to repent before God. In sacrifice, the thing, you know, where you think, well, you're, you're sacrificing in some huge way. Sacrifice without obedience really doesn't please God. Let me illustrate that with an Old Testament story. In, in the book of Samuel, what had happened was this. King Saul had been told to go in and defeat this heathen king. And because there was such a wicked king in, in, in a wicked kingdom, wicked people, He was told to go in and to kill the king. And he was told to go in and to kill all the animals. Instead, Saul starts processing things himself and thinking for himself. And Saul decides he's going to keep the king alive. And he decides he's going to keep the best of the animals alive for sacrifice. Then the prophet Samuel shows up on the scene. And you see, Saul was disobedient. Saul's thinking, well, it won't really matter. I mean, after all, I'm doing it for a good reason. That's the same way we excuse sin in our own lives. God tells us to do one thing, and we say, well, I understand God said that, but I'm doing it for a good reason. So Samuel comes in, he says, has the, the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. They're saying rebelling against God like witchcraft is, is what some translations say. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. The presumption of Saul was this. Well, it won't matter if I just vary a little bit from what God said. And, and he was presuming it would be okay. But look what happened. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Eventually, Saul loses the kingdom simply because he disobeyed God. And he tried to make it sound like he had a good reason. Well, we'll sacrifice these animals. The message was this. God is not pleased with your sacrifice if you're not obedient to him. Whatever it is we think we're doing for God, he's not pleased with all of our sacrifices unless in the process of what we're doing, we're also being obedient to him. Had Yah said this, and what they offer there is unclean. What they would offer at this temple is unclean because they had unclean hearts and unclean hands. The word offer means to approach for whatever purpose. If you're trying to approach God for whatever purpose, you're trying to serve God in some way, and you're holding on and you're harboring unrepented, unconfessed sin in your life, thinking it'll be okay, you'll still be able to serve God, you can serve God, but I can guarantee you this, you'll not be as effective as God wants you to be. You'll not accomplish what God really wants you to accomplish unless you turn loose of that 
sin and you have a clean heart and a clean mind and a clean conscience and clean hands as you set out to do God's work. If you want to make the biggest impact possible. Second thing that we can see in this passage of Scripture is the penalty. The penalty for contamination by sin. See, the, the disobedience of the the remnant in Jerusalem of failing to build the temple was costly to them, is what Haggai is getting ready to point out. And disobedience is still costly today. Even for those who are God's people. You see, the Jews were God's people there in Jerusalem. But they've been paying a cost for 16 years because of their disobedience. Even for us who are Christians, even for us who know that we're saved by grace, there will always be some type of consequence or cost for our disobedience. It may not be as, as huge as what the, the people faced here, but there will be some type of consequence. If it's, hey, if it's nothing more than you having a guilty conscience as a Christian, even though you know you're saved by grace and you know you're on your way to heaven and yet you're holding on to unconfessed sin in your life, even if it doesn't affect you in any other way than you having a guilty conscience, there are consequences to sin. There, there are consequences for us for us disobeying God. We have penalties in all kinds of forms in, in life. To illustrate that, there's penalties in sports. Football, they'll throw a flag. Soccer, they'll hold a card up. I don't know what the card says. I don't like soccer. I don't watch it. I'm old school. I think soccer's communistic. If I just offend you, I'm sorry. But football's an American sport. Right, guys? Amen. Try to get amen out of the men on Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm just joking around about that. I just, but I've never really cared for, for soccer uh, and, and all. There's penalties in basketball. There's penalties if you disobey the laws of land, you get caught. Amen? There's penalties in, involved with it. There are consequences when that happens. Sometimes there are ongoing consequences that will, that will last longer than, than the time in which we've Come to repentance. Just because you repent of a situation doesn't mean that you won't have ongoing consequences from it. Howbeit, just a guilty conscience. He tells the people here, as we're going to look, he, he, he tells them to consider two things. Now, before he does that, I want to remind you, and most of you are aware of this, but I think sometimes we don't focus on it enough. The Bible teaches there are sins of commission. That's a sin where you willingly rebel and you commit something, you do something that God tells you shouldn't do. But do you also know there are sins of omission? And sins of omission is when you fail to do something you clearly know God has told you to do. Just like in our vision and mission statement, we know God has said these things clearly in the Bible. I preached a series a few weeks ago and tied all of that to verses in the Bible. So if we are failing to do those things, we are committing sins of omission because we're failing to do what God called us to do. If you know Jesus gave us a great commission, and He knows, and you know we're supposed to be making disciples, and you know He said He's with you to help you do it, you know, we're supposed to be reaching people so we can baptize them. If we fail to do that, that's not just an oversight. That's a sin of omission on our part. See, the sin of omission the people had in Jerusalem and Haggai's day was this. 16 years, the temple had been left unbuilt. There was a sin of omission while they lived their lives for themselves. 
So we don't need to miss that. You and I can sin by failing to do what God calls us to do. And that in particular was what was taking place with the, the people of, uh, of Haggai's day. James 4.17 tells us this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, what does it say? For him it is what? Sin. Oh, that hurt to say that, didn't it? But that's the Bible. That's true. If we know God says to do this and we fail to do it, to us it's sin. Because since we know God said to do it and we're failing to do it, we're being convicted by our own conscience that God said to do this. And for that, it makes it to be sin for our lives because we fail to do what God called us to do. He tells the people to consider two things. First of all, he tells them to consider how did you fare in disobedience? How did things go for you? Is what Haggai is asking them. Over the 16 years that the temple wasn't built, how did that work out as you disobeyed me and failed to do what I called you to do? Verse 15 says, Now then, consider this, or consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon the stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you with, in all the products of your toil with blight, with mildew, and with hail. Yet you did not turn from me, declares the Lord. And then jumping ahead to verse 19, because I'm going to deal with part of verse 15 and in and, uh, verse 18 separately in a moment. And then he says, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. He's telling the people over the 16 years that you've been disobedient to me. It costs you something. Disobedience will cost us something. Disobedience will cause us to face some circumstances that we might wish we didn't have to face. Hey, guys, making it painfully clear to the people that they had not fared well because of their disobedience. He's causing the people to reflect upon what they had experienced because of their failure to put God first. Because they had built building their own houses and taking care of their own lives instead of taking care of what God called them to do. He's pointing it out to them in very clear terms that because of that, they had faced some very negative things in their lives. Because of their failure to believe God's promises. Because of their failure to obey God. Uh, prior to deciding to obey and, real the te- and rebuild the temple, he's asking them, what did you experience during that time? And then he tells them. He kind of gives them an example of it. You go thinking you're going to get this certain amount of grain. And when you go there, there's only half of it present. He he said, you go to the vat and you're going to think you're going to be getting this amount of wine out. And when you go to draw it out, there's only about a third there that you thought would be there. And I think Haggai's pointing out to them that the people were missing out on God's best. They were missing out on the blessings that they could have been experiencing in their lives by at least 50% of God's blessings. Because they went and expected one thing, but that's not what they received at all. Instead, they were receiving a whole lot less. 
See, the reason God had done that, the reason God had uh, impacted the region, we talked about this a few weeks ago with drought, and he had affected the crops, as he said a moment ago, with with blight and and other type of disease. He was doing that as a wake-up call. He was trying to get the people to wake up to the error of their ways, and they refused to repent. They refused to turn to God. And as a result of that, in the past, they were experiencing negative things. They were experiencing the absence of God's blessing. Even after they decided to build the temple, in verse 19, he said, Have you noticed that even though you've changed your mind, there's still not seed in the barn? Have you noticed that there's still not the olive oil that needs to be there, the figs that need to be there, the pomegranate, all that you expected is still not there, even though you've made the choice now to build the temple. You want to know why? There's an ongoing impact and influence of sin in their life. Ongoing consequences of sin. Just because you repent of something and ask God to forgive you for it, doesn't mean you might not be impacted by it ongoing situation, ongoing negative influence in your life. I see that all the time whenever we've gone in to do prison ministry. Because when we're in there doing prison ministry, I will meet people who are good, strong, thriving Christians in the prison. They weren't at one time or they wouldn't have wound up there probably, you know, but they, but they are now. They realize the error of their ways and they've come to Christ. But it's just because they came to Christ and they received forgiveness, they still got an ongoing consequence because of their past sin. Now, you and I probably could be there ourselves. We just didn't get caught. Amen? But just because we didn't get caught doesn't mean there's not an ongoing consequence of sin in, in your life. And it, even though if it's just your conscience, as I said earlier, even though if it's just the guilt that you have of what you had done, and if you don't have any other reason to feel guilty about sin, can I suggest you do one thing? If you'll just look at the cross, and if you'll see what Jesus paid on the cross for our sins, all of us should have an awareness of that ongoing influence that the sin of men had because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Even yours and mine, even though we weren't born yet. And all-knowing God sent His Son. And all-loving God sent His Son. And He knew every sin that you'd ever commit, I would ever commit. And He put that on Jesus on the cross. We need to recognize, as He's calling the people to there, that, that we need to learn the lesson, rather, that, uh, that even as people, God's people, even as Christians, we won't fare well, is the point that He's making. We won't fare well living in disobedience to God. Second thing He asked them to consider is this. He asked them to consider this. He asked them to, to think about from this day onward. To consider from this day onward. He, he tells them to remember the disobedience, what disobedience costs you. He said, now then consider from this day onward. In, in verse 18, he said, consider from this day onward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. All Haggai is doing is this. Don't forget your past. Don't forget what sin has done to you. Don't ever get over the cost of sin. That's what he's telling him. Remember what it cost you when you were living in disobedience all those years. Don't forget your disobedience to God. There are consequences for your sin. And he tells them to consider from this day onward. And the word consider there in the Hebrew simply means to put it to heart. 
You and I need to do that. We need to put it to heart and always remember the consequences, the negative consequences of sin. Thank God for grace. Amen. Thank God for mercy. Thank God that he's a loving God. Thank God that he provided a way for us through Jesus. But nowhere in the Bible does it teach that we're supposed to trust in Jesus as our Savior, know we're going to heaven, then live however we want to live. That's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament, Romans chapter 6, literally tells you to do this. It tells you to reckon yourself dead to sin. That means when you are tempted to sin, you stop and you say, no, I can't do it, I'm a corpse. I die with Jesus on the cross. Instead of saying yes to that temptation, you say no to that temptation because you died with Jesus. Because if you say yes to the temptation, even as a Christian, even though you're saved, even though you know you're on your way to heaven, there can still be consequences that you face. And that's what had happened to the people in Haggai's day. Proverbs 14, verse 34 tells us this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin will always hinder us from being the best that we can be. It will hinder us as individuals. It will hinder us as a church. It will hinder a nation from being all that we should be if we harbor sin and we hold on to sin because sin contaminates and it spreads. You probably know that's true in your own life if you'd be honest. It affects a whole body of God's people sometimes. You remember the story of Joshua in the battle of Ai? Because of the sin of one person, guess what? The whole nation lost the battle that day. That's why we need to be so careful as bodies uh, inside the body of Christ here in Day 3 Church. Because anything that one of us could do could affect our effectiveness for Christ. It can affect the testimony of Day 3 Church. It can affect your testimony, the, the ability you have to do things for Christ. We need to be careful because that's what happened at Ai. The children of Israel lost a huge battle because one guy stole a gold idol and hid it. And that's what it cost the whole people. And sin, I think, can affect the whole nation. I've heard people say, well, you know what? If we don't get revival in our land, and if our land doesn't turn back to God, God's going to judge America. I've got news for you. God is already judging America. God is already judging our nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. We live in such a crazy society today. Man, when I was growing up, if you told me we would be debating some of the things we're debating, you know, you know, publicly on the news and in our government and things like that, I mean, some of it to me is just ludicrous, guys. Really, it's crazy. All the stuff about the transgender restrooms right now and everything that's coming up. I, I'm sorry, I guess I'm a little bit old school, but I kind of view it like this. If, if, if you look inside your pants, however God made you, that's the way God made you. And, and, and yet we're called bigots and everything like that because we need to be concerned about the way the, the transgender's emotions might be. Well, what about the little eight-year-old girl that happens to be in the bathroom and sees a six-foot-ten guy walk in with a wig? What about her feelings? What about her emotions? I mean, that's just one thing. I'm, I'm not here to go over a bunch of political things. That's just one thing that ought to let us know we've gone crazy in our country. Righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin will be a reproach. Because sin contaminates not just individuals, but even, even groups of people. 
Third thing I want you to see today is this. Haggai also gives a promise to the people. He, he points out to them the problem of the contamination of sin. The contamination of sin, just like a person touching a, a dead body, how that made him unclean, and anything he touched will become unclean. We need to recognize as we try and serve God, if we're harboring sin in our lives, that's a problem because it affects the very work of our hands. The things that we want to do for Jesus, to exalt Jesus and glorify him, even as Christians, if we're harboring sin in our lives, it will keep us from being as effective as we ought to be. There's a penalty that they were facing. For 16 years, they had faced penalty, judgment of God, because they had failed to do what God had told them to do. But now that they had changed their mind, now that they had repented, now that they had started to rebuild the temple, God makes this promise in the second part of verse 19. But from this day on, I will bless you. Their climate was different than our climate in December. I told you earlier that he preaches this message on December the 18th. What the men in that day and time had probably just finished doing was this. They had just finished plowing their fields for a winter crop. Now, think about this. If all the crops you had planted beforehand had been under divine judgment and it was all just being wasted away by blight and drought and everything else... It's kind of like an act in futility to go out there and start planting a field, isn't it? But they just have plowed their fields. So God tells them, even though your crops have been under judgment in the past, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. Trust me with your crops in the future. Trust me that I'm going to bless you from this moment on. God has cited the reason for their disobedience. God reminds them now that they're building this temple and as they repent of their sin and as they clean their lives and they purify themselves from the consequences of sin, God is telling them now that you're building this temple, if you'll do it in the right way, if you'll do it with obedience, if you'll do it with clean hearts and clean hands, God's saying, I'm going to bless you. He's really teaching a principle that, that I'm afraid we fail to remember a lot of times too. And, and that is this, obedience and the blessings of God go hand in hand to a certain degree. Just like disobedience and the lack of blessing of God in your life go hand in hand. How can we expect God to fully bless us to the degree that he wants to bless us if we're living disobedient lives? You get the point? How can we expect Day 3 Church to be blessed to the degree that God wants to bless Day 3 Church if we refuse to fulfill our mission and our vision and our mission statement? If we are failing to be the body of Christ in this lost world that we live in, if we're failing to build up believers, if we're failing to try and change the world by building each other up and by going out to spread the gospel, how can we expect Him to bless us if we're ignoring those things? How can we expect Him to bless us if we're not connecting with Him, if we're not spending time with Him, if we're not connecting with others so we can build them up, if we're not trying to connect other people with God, how can we expect God to bless us? I, I was counseling with someone a few minutes this week, and we kind of got in an area of conversation that where, where I, I shared with him, and you may wonder sometimes why, 
Why I, I've never preached a whole lot of prophecy. I know I'm preaching through a prophet right now, but I'm talking about end time prophecies and you know the final weeks of Daniel and, and everything in eschatology and, and things like that. It's not that I'm not interested in those things. It's not that I'm not studied those things, but I think it's this. God keeps me in the realm that I tend to be in and trying to be in a practical mode when it comes to the messages that I proclaim for this reason. Until we get the things we know right, why is God going to teach us anything deeper? Hmm? Until we are willing to do things like the Great Commission. (laughs) Until we're willing to do simple things that he tells us to do like pray and read the Bible and love people and minister to people until we're willing to do those things, why do we expect that God ought to take us deeper when we're outright disobedient to the things that he's told us to do? I think that's why God keeps me in that realm. Because his blessing and obedience kind of goes hand in hand. Let me illustrate that, and then we'll close. When the first temple was being built, Solomon's temple... David wanted to build it, but he didn't get to because he had been a man of warfare, a man with bloody hands, and, uh, of course, was even guilty for, for murder at one, at one point. And, uh, and God told him, you're not going to be the one to build a house for me. Uh, Solomon, your son's going to build it. So then Solomon builds the temple, and he's kind of there hanging out in the temple, and they're going to be you know, having the consecration service for the temple and things like that. And, and, and God speaks to Solomon, and, and he says, if you obey me, if the people obey me, I'm going to bless you in this place. I'm going to bless the nation. But if you disobey me, there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. But then God said, even if you disobey me, look what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Even if they did disobey him, which they did, God makes a promise to them. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then, not before, but then, will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The people in Haggai's day in Jerusalem have been living in disobedience for 16 years. They have been experiencing the judgment of God against their crops and in other ways because of their disobedience. Why? Because sin contaminates. Sin will still yet contaminate our lives and what we do. But what happened to them is this. Haggai sent to them to preach to them. They repent of the way they had been doing. They humble themselves before God. They pray. They seek God's face. They turn from their wicked ways. And God promised them, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. And that's what God did for the people in Haggai's day. And he did it multiple times in the Bible. And I will submit to you that he's still the same God. And he's still willing to do that for us. But we need to recognize that sin contaminates. We, we, we don't need to ignore the impact that sin can even have in a Christian's life. Don't be expecting God to bless you if you're living in outright disobedience to his word. Don't expect God to bless you, whether it be in your finances or relationships or whatever it might be. If you're outright living in disobedience to what you know the perceived, communicated will of God is in the Word of God. You can read it in black and white. If you know that God has said, don't do this, and you keep doing it, why do you expect God to bless you? If you know God has said, do this, and you fail to do it, 
Why do you expect God to bless you? And we wonder sometimes why we struggle, why we're going through difficulties in our lives. What we need to do is do the same thing that God promised the children of Israel when he talked to Solomon. We need to humble ourselves. We need to pray and we need to seek God's face. We need to turn from wicked ways. See, the, the lesson, I think, for us out of Haggai is really this. Real blessings in our lives are not found in self-serving attitudes. If you're trying to bless yourself by serving yourself, you're probably not going to find fulfillment that way. You're just going to find frustration. Real blessings in our lives are not found in self-serving attitudes. Real blessings in our lives are not found in making our lives all about us, while at the same time ignoring the will of God for our lives. Instead, real blessings are found by seeking and serving God's purposes. The people of Haggai's day figured that out after 16 years. They repented and they turned to seek God's will and God's purposes. We need to do the same thing in, in our day. We need to recognize that sin contaminates. Humble ourselves before God. Pray, seek His face, turn from wicked ways. He promises us that He'll hear from heaven and that He'll forgive and that He'll heal. Let's pray. Fathers, we've prayed so often in this series, forgive us when we live our lives all about ourselves. We make our lives all about ourselves. About what we want, about our purposes, while we ignore your purposes. Forgive us, Father, as your people, when we, we allow sin to stay active in our lives. Help us to remember that Jesus suffered on the cross for sin. That he paid the penalty for sin by his pain, by his shed blood on the cross. God, help us not to have a frivolous view of sin. To think it's okay as your people to, to sin because, after all, we're saved by grace. We do thank you for your grace. We thank you that's the way we're saved. But, Father, help us remember on the other side of grace... On the other side of becoming your people, you want us to live for you. You want us to live like you. You want us to live in obedience to you. And when we fail to do that, sin will contaminate other areas in our lives. It might be as simple as putting something off like the people put off building the temple. It might be as simple as a sin of omission. It might not even be something as huge as some very wicked thing that we would think of in our culture that would be wrong for us as Christians to commit. Father, help us to understand that even a little bit of sin contaminates us. Even a little bit of sin can, can affect our effectiveness in the work of our hands for you. Father, there's someone in this place that doesn't have a relationship with you at all. Give them the faith they need right now to say yes to Jesus. But to those of us who are the church, help us to be honest right now before you. For it's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.